Hi. Thank you for coming, and thank you, Skylight Books, for uh, having me here. If you have talked to me at all in the past five years, you've known that um, I've been very nervous about this book. Um, but uh, I've been looking forward to this with real joy, um, and being here, and thank you all for coming. I'm so happy Charles is here uh, about a year ago. Um, no. Two, two years ago, I was in kind of a dark place with the book and um, uh, and not sure of what I was doing. And I read uh, Charles' novel, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. And I was so inspired and knocked out, and I felt like, well, I should keep trying. Um, and then I saw Charles, and I tried to tell him this, and I burst into tears and, like, <laughs> thumped him with copies of his own book. She did. It was, like, you did this. super awkward and strange. It's, I, it's one of the best moments I've ever had. Ever <laughs> Assaulted, um, but it, it, it's nice. When you're doing the assaulting, it's very nice. <laughs> um, so I'm really glad that um, one of my uh, hero writers is here with me. Um, so, um, uh, about five or six years ago, I read a newspaper article um, about a collaboration between the Russian and European uh, space agencies. They put six volunteers uh, in a module for 520 days. Um, uh, the project was called Mars 500, and it was meant to emulate, basically, your budget travel to Mars. Um, <laughs> That's the fastest you can get to Mars, be on Mars for 30 days, and get back. Um, so they wanted to look at the long-term psychological and physiological effects of that kind of isolation. Um, so they put six guys, all guys, uh, in a module for 520 days. And they all came out just fine. You can watch YouTube videos of it. Um, nothing bad happened. It's all, the videos are all like... You know, people cutting each other's hair, like enjoying salmon. There's no like. Um, uh, so I read the article and I thought that's a great setting for a novel. Um, but then I also thought I, I can't write that novel because I don't know anything about space. Uh, and then <laughs> I couldn't get out of my head. So, uh, so uh, someone said once that. Um, if you write what you know, you get one novel and three poems. And <laughs> I had already written that novel, and um, I, my poetry is terrible. So, uh, so I had to learn something. So I had kind of a long, deep dive into space science. Um, uh, and I thought about writing um, the whole book from the point of view of the crew members that are doing this simulation. Uh, and as, as often happens when you're a writer, I, I thought one day, well, I need to know a little bit more about their family members and who they're connected to. So just for myself, I'll write a chapter for one of the astronauts' daughters. And I wrote that chapter and went, oh, yeah, these people have to be in the book. So it became a book not just about those who go, but those who are left behind. Uh, so we have seven major characters, three astronauts in a simulator, uh, for 17 months, and um, the uh, the daughter, the wife, and the son of each astronaut. Um, so that's I'm going to read a little bit, and then Charles and I are going to have a conversation. It'll be really natural, and <laughs> just like we're talking in our living room, and. Um, <laughs> Simulated conversation. A simulated conversation. When you write a book about simulations, everything is a, <laughs> becomes a simulation. 
Um, and you bore your friends with that. Um, so there's not much set up. In the first chapter, we meet Helen. Uh, she's an American astronaut uh, in her 50s, and uh, she's been picked for, for this mission. In the second chapter, we meet Marie, who's her daughter, who's uh, in her 20s, uh, lives in Los Angeles, and uh, is an aspiring actress who works as a massage therapist at a fancy hotel. Uh, so her name's Murray, uh, nicknamed Meeps. And this is her. A terrible thing has happened to Murray. She has been selected as the spa employee of the month. <laughs> she sits now in the hotel employee cafeteria with Clara and Olive, who are also massage therapists, and who have congratulated her with a sincerity that depresses her almost as much as the award. <laughs> It's only that she wants to be the person she was for a few minutes last night. Marie had made people laugh when she took the floor, so to speak, with a story that began with, you know, I have to say I totally blame Anne Frank. (laughs) For once she had left a party without the desire to go back and do the whole party over. Was almost certain she had nothing to reproach herself with. Oh, so I have this thing right now, Marie says to Clara and Olive, where I'm trying to live a minimal lifestyle. Only, I just realized the other night that the reason I have trouble throwing anything away has to do with this thing that happened to me when I was six, and you know, I have to say I totally blame Anne Frank. (laughs) She's off. She's a little off. She can already tell the story isn't going to work as well as it did last night. The setting is wrong now. Plastic booths and tables and hotel art relocated down to the cafeteria because of mild damage and the smell of institutionalized paella. (laughs) Also... Olive and Clara are different kinds of friends than the people from her acting class. They're in the healing industry, so neurotic irony has no currency with them the way it does with actors. Murray has chosen her audience unwisely. Okay, so my dad took me to Amsterdam when I was six. He was speaking at some kind of festival, and I went with him because Murray appears to search her memory and then rolls her eyes to indicate the ridiculousness of having forgotten this particular detail. Oh, yeah, because my mom was in space. She hurries on to the next bit. It goes very badly for her if she tries to enlist sympathy for being the daughter of one of the most admirable women on the planet. If she's pitied, she's pitied wrongly, not for being neglected or eclipsed by her astronaut mother, but for being inadequate and unremarkable in comparison. Anyway, we're in Amsterdam, and my dad takes me to Anne Frank House because, you know, that's what you do. And my dad's trying to give me a nice educational experience and distract me from the fact that my mom could blow up at any moment. And that's the obvious entertainment choice, right? Holocaust Museum. Right, so... We're at their museum, and you can see Anne Frank's diary, and that's wonderful, of course, because it's this tremendous document that means so much to so many people. But then there's all this other stuff, Anne Frank's pen, and a book that Anne Frank once gave as a present to someone, and a bus pass that Anne Frank once used, and this drawing she'd done in school that I completely fixated on. I mean, it's not a piece of art. It's not of anything. It's basically a fancy doodle that she colored in. But me being me, I became totally obsessed with this idea that a doodle could become important, could be something that people would put under glass and look at and be incredibly moved by and so because of the Anne Frank Museum I became like this slightly morbid morbid six-year-old hoarder. (laughs) Mireille is definitely a little off because neither Clara nor Olive are laughing and last night everybody had laughed. (laughs) Why has she chosen this moment to act like a clown? Nobody wants to go to the circus at 11.30 in the morning. (laughs) 
The other thing Marais says is that there's a lot in the museum about Meep guys. She's the woman who helped hide the family and found the diary, and even though Meeps is just what my mother called me because she can't pronounce my real name correctly, I guess I felt this connection to the historical Meep and... Wait, your mother can't pronounce your name? Clara grabs Marais' wrist. Marais is aware that her eyes are shining and that she could cry in about three seconds if she let herself. But she shouldn't cry. If you cry as an actor, you rob your audience of the chance to cry for you. (laughs) That's practically a law. My dad chose the name Marais. He was French, so he pronounced it the proper Provençal way. I mean, my mom speaks Russian and Japanese fluently. She's amazing, but she's super Midwestern, so everything comes out a little flat. Anyway, she probably agreed to the name because there was a Russian space station called Mir. It was famously sort of a mess, so, you know, appropriate for me. Ah, says Clara, you're not a mess, says Olive. These friends are giving Marais what she wants, but she doesn't want to be the person who wants what she wants. And so she goes on wanting inaccurately, and so her eyes still shine. Last night, Marais had linked the whole Anne Frank story back to her mom being in space, which led to a comically exaggerated imitation of what her mom sounded like when she spoke Russian with a Midwestern accent, which naturally caused someone to say, wow, so you speak Russian, which allowed Marais to describe traveling with her mother to Moscow for a commemorative space thing, and how Marais had lost her virginity at Star City, a story guaranteed to impress because while everyone had lost their virginity, who else could say they had done it with the son of a cosmonaut and a formerly secret facility a hundred yards away from the statue of Laika, the first dog to orbit the earth. (laughs) And she had felt wonderful last night knowing that she was that person, that person who could tell that story. And the earth has not even rotated once since that feeling, and already she's lost it. But I love the name Meep, says Clara. Me too, says Olive. It's so you. Where's her story? How can she get it back? Marais remembers Nestor, who took her virginity, or more honestly, managed to just catch the virginity she heaved at him. (laughs) She remembers the pine and birch trees of Star City, how she looked up into the dark Russian night and thought that she too was going places. Marais has to go now and have her picture taken to commemorate her winning spa employee of the month before starting her shift. She makes her way down the corridor to human resources. The hallways are lined with posters spouting motivational slogans and seasonally appropriate puns. Winter is almost over, so let's put a spring in our step. Marais earned her award because she put together a personal aromatherapy kit for an ultra-VIP client, and the ultra-VIP wrote a letter to the manager of the hotel to rave about Marais' skills and thoughtfulness and said the oils had not only changed her life, they'd also cured her chronically ill Wheaton Terrier. (laughs) Marais is made to stand against a cream wall and hold up her certificate. She smiles and says her name and her department and why she loves working at the hotel. She does not say, I accidentally cured a Wheaton Terrier's pancreatitis with essential oil because you can't make sarcastic jokes with people who tape up posters that say let's put a spring in our step and she's not going to misjudge her audience twice in one day once clear of human resources Marais folds her certificate up into a tiny square and takes the employee elevator up to the spa she hasn't told anyone about her mother's news it's preposterous pretty much Her mother had done the thing where she explained using her special formula kind voice and then asked for Marais to share her thoughts and reactions. And Marais had said, well, I think if it's important to you, then you should do it. It's only coming to her now that what her mother was talking about was going to Mars. Marais wonders what she could have possibly been telling herself for the past month that wasn't, my mom is going to Mars. 
She also can't remember what was so funny about blaming Anne Frank. It's training, her mother had said. Just like before, let's focus on the training, not the going. Except she always did go. Going was always the point. If her mother goes to Mars, then that will be the only story of Marais's life. It will wipe out everything. Marais wants to stay with that thought a little, but promises herself she will return to it later when she has more time to savor how awful it is. She has to touch people now, and there's a chance that people might feel the awful things through her hands. So instead, she will do the thing where she spins it the other way, like her mother is always suggesting. She will start working seriously as an actress in really good things before her mother goes to Mars. And then when her mother does go, people will be interested in Marais' point of view on the whole deal. Marais sees herself and her mother on talk shows, being interviewed together, posing for photographs. She sees herself becoming gracious and generous and funny and tender toward her mother. And she's attracted to this version of herself, and this self snaps open and catches the wind just like it's supposed to, just like the parachute that brought her mother's Soyuz capsule safely to Earth when Marais was six. She needs and exfoliates and makes sympathetic noises and tells people to breathe and is genuinely non-judgmental about back hair and psoriasis. <laughs> she keeps spinning. She's become great. She's big. She's important. And she's carrying her mother close, close to her. This is the story of a daughter who was inspired by the accomplishments of her mother, who was empowered by them enough to choose her own path, which shoots just as high and as far, as daringly, as riskily, as nobly in its own way. This is the story of the daughter, not the mother. Not the mother shooting into the sky, then higher than the sky, bungling her daughter's name, and neither blowing up nor ever really coming home. Thanks. That's, I mean, that's such a beautiful passage because I think it shows it well. It's, okay. It encapsulates so much about what I really love about the book. Um, I think, he, the, the, for me, really, we're in Murray's head instantly and we're feeling all of the tiny kind of gradations of her consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what you... I think that's that's what pulls that's that's the thread that's that's all the way through the book is that this for me it's really a book about inner space and that's what you do so beautifully. Um, I, I think it's interesting that Murray is an actor, you know, and and how much of that was an intuitive choice, and or or did you just go aha that's that's going to be it? Well, I wanted each of the family members to be in their own kind of simulation, mm-hmm. since simulation was the spine of the book. So um, so for the Japanese astronaut, his wife, Madoka, is, um, she's the ambassador for a line of robotic caregivers um, and actually has, has dinner with her own robot at one point. Um, and the, uh, the son of the Russian astronaut, Dmitry, is... Um, going through his own sort of sexual identity crisis and lying to everyone. So he's in a simulation. He's simulating. They're all trying to simulate being people that they think are needed or wanted. Um, and then with Murray, I was... Well, I work as a massage therapist in a hotel, um, although that's not exactly my point of view of the whole thing. But um, I, I did want her to have a job mm. that involved simulation and I also could not research 
any other thing. Right. <laughs> um, and I know a lot of actors, <laughs> so I knew a lot of people to ask about her. And she becomes, she starts doing a motion capture work, which, right. so not only is she an actress, but she's simulating being a human being for um, motion capture. So, yeah. yeah, it seemed to work. No, I think it's yeah. I think it's one of those things where it lines up, and w- however it happened, it's just so perfect. You you know, it's not going to change, and that that reminds me of the line. There's there's so many great lines, but I think for me, the essence of the book is that line of um, "Does this feel real?" is not a meaningful question, yeah. um, and I mean. I just wonder about when when did you come up with that line and and did you know is that cause for me that's sort of the thesis of of the book in a bit yeah yeah so that's the first line of the book and it gets uh, it's sort of repeated um, yeah for me when I was reading about this even this this newspaper article I was wondering well how how real how um, efficacious is that study mm-hmm. because wouldn't the things that you experience when you're going to Mars, be substantially different than what you would feel in a module with people looking at you knowing you're being tested. So how real is that process? Um, But then I started thinking about how real are any of the processes that we're um, going through. And it seemed to me there might be a point if the study was very good, and, and the, the simulation I put my astronauts on is kind of a souped-up version um, involving a lot of virtual reality, but that there might be a point where you, if you weren't sure what was real, just the word itself might seem to lose its mm. context for you. Mm. Um, yeah, what's real? <laughs> <laughs> wake up, Meg, yeah. wake up. Um, no, I think that's that's what's beautifully done. Is sometimes for me, you this this is a book of convincingly semi hard sci fi. Thank God. That 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 the the thing that it sometimes feels like for me is like peanut butter and pickles or something. Mm. It just they're they're people are trying to force two things together mm. and and I think you made a thing first and then the whole like sandwich is made of that <laughs> um, and this is a delicious sandwich is what I'm trying to say so um, <laughs> I, I mean just in terms of craft for me I mean I guess did you how did you kind of make that amalgam because for me personally as a writer that's a very interesting process is like did you have a, a kind of a bucket for your sci-fi research and a bucket for your personal stories and go how do I blend the language and because mm. on a micro scale it's also very well blended and thank you um, I did probably a year and a half of research before I wrote anything mm-hmm. so for me it was about trying to understand trying to learn as much as I could um, Actually, there's. I went to space camp when I was researching this book, and one of the, my fellow space camp sisters uh, is here, Gabrielle. Um, yeah, so I did all kinds of research, um, and uh, I didn't. It took me a year and a half before I wrote the first chapter, um, mm-hmm. just because I felt like I needed to know what I was talking about first. And then I wrote a lot of really technical chapters and deleted them because they were <laughs> bad. Um, and I just wanted, whenever the science comes up, I wanted it to be tied very concretely to what was happening with the characters. Um, I didn't want info dropping of space science. And that's hard, right. that is hard because right. space science is so interesting and cool. And there's a... Um, 
there's an urge to show off, like, look, I worked really hard, and <laughs> I know it. Right. Look, I know space. I did it. Um, and then you go, that's great. That's very impressive. It's so bad. Boring. De- right. Delete that. Right. Um, and then tell people at your reading, I know space. <laughs> um, no, but I just I wanted it to um, to to just. Um, not be that. I didn't want to info drop, uh, so when I just kept a sharp out eye out for it. Because for me, yeah. it was really all, all about these people. So. so the trick is editing. You're saying, yeah. <laughs> Good writing is about editing. If I had a pen, I would write that down. Um, because I, because I, that's the thing. You don't miss. Like I don't miss all of that info dump stuff. Mm. You know. I mean, in fact, for me, it makes it. I call it semi hard sci-fi. I meant that as a compliment. Like it mm. didn't feel like I was being exposited to that. It felt okay. like this kind of light touch. And it, like you said, it was always resonant with some other thing that was. That was happening there, so I, I feel like I'm just gushing at the book, and maybe it's I should. totally okay. <laughs> um, I mean, how do you? Because you, how do you approach it, though? Um, blindly, Bli- yeah. yeah, pretty blind. I mean, I, I don't. I, I think I don't do research partly because I'm not interested in in any of it, and I know I won't be. So I, I just fake it, and then after the fact, get you know either yeah. get nervous about it or right. maybe do the bare minimum amount to like kind of justify what I wrote. Uh-huh. But even then, it's like whatever, it's gobbledygook, and so I'm just like, you know, it's like. Um, I'm trying to like sneak in a poem, basically, and then you know, in the guise of a sci-fi story, um, which I think you know, moments of this book are so, so poetic, and I and I wonder in terms of the process of the writing. And I'm sorry to ask craft questions, but you know, I mean, um, I'm going to do it because I have the microphone. You know, what I mean, so, but um, did you write it um, in chapter? Because some of them feel so like just. I mean, I guess the nature of the structure of the book is we have POV characters, and right. you go through them. How, how did you come up with their stories? Did you break kind of the stories for each character and then blend them? Or yeah, I'm not that organized, yeah. Um, I didn't do any outline. or um, uh, I think the reason it took me so long with the first chapter is I have to know the whole book in the first chapter, so, mm-hmm. um, so I keep projecting forward. It's like you need to hear all the instruments. You need to hear the whole symphony, and then you go, okay, it needs more woodwinds or brass or whatever. We need to find it there um because i have seven major characters so seven points of view is great for me as a writer because yeah <laughs> each time i would start a new chapter it's like oh hey here you are again i missed you i haven't seen you in five chapters um uh and so then cycled back um to try to you know thread their storylines through um right but um yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a beautifully organized. Which is why it took me four years. If I had maybe outlined. <laughs> well, that that's interesting. What you said. It's really interesting to me. You said you need to know what the book is in the first chapter. Yeah. Like in the first few pages, you already have to feel like the book has worked itself out in your head. Yeah, not as a concrete. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. But right. I need to know the feel of what I'm trying to say with the book. Right. And then, of course, other things will happen that completely surprise you and change right. the direction, but I need to know the heart of the book by the first chapter. What does that look like when you're actually struggling to figure out your book without having written it yet? Um, well, in, um, it, it's, it's, sometimes it's more like I- image uh, 
thing I just saw seven people mm-hmm. that um that could, were trying to travel to find each other um and were in isolated uh were were each isolated and right. so I it was about trying to find how do, how do these seven people get anywhere how mm-hmm. do any of us get anywhere how do we understand anything yeah. um so then it was just finding each particular struggle that each each of them had um, yeah isolation is a big part of it yeah. for me it's such a beautiful metaphor that you literalize but it, it just um you know the concept of of distance and the fact that they're not you know necessarily as far as they need to be but they, as, effectively they are because they can't see each other so the in that sense the 17 months is the distance and right. um you know that to me that's such a sort of it's just such an amazing way to tell essentially a story about any family which yeah. is you're separated most of the time right yeah. um I, I you know i wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you sort of thought about the different families and we've got one family that's essentially moved to america Right. Um another family that's uh well it's just two, right? It's Murray and Helen. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. I, I never really I never intend to really write about um families and then I always do in every mm-hmm. book. It's like <laughs> mom again, you know. <laughs> um uh, yeah, I I thought well I was reading all these astronaut memoirs and, and biographies and of course they're all terribly heroic and perfect and um <laughs> Fabulous. And then I saw a uh, video clip of an uh, astronaut on the space station, and he was Skyping with his son, who's like 15. Um, and of course, the son looks mm. just embarrassed and awkward. He doesn't want to talk to his father, mm. who's on the space station. <laughs> I mean, you would think, right. you know. But no, he's just a 15-year-old kid whose dad is asking him awkward questions about his homework that he doesn't want to answer. Um, and, uh, and the dad is very awkward, awkward with his own son, you know. Well, did you... How's that going? Um, right. <laughs> and um, I thought, well, yeah, um, we probably will send human beings to Mars um, at some point. And there's a reason we want human beings there and not robots. I mean, the robots are doing a pretty great job. Um, bless their hearts. Um, <laughs> I mean, they just keep going. Um, but they're, you know, slow. They can't go, hey, what's that thing? You have to tell it what to do. And um, But we, we want human beings to sure. go and look and tell us what it's like um, but those human beings w- will be human and have families and right. um, loves and disappointments and um, uh, so I was I wanted to uh, these astronauts in the book are not based on real astronauts no astronauts were harmed in the, in the <laughs> thing I couldn't do that but um, but uh, I just wanted to peel back what that looked like um, because it occurred to me, it's it's um, it's not a small thing to be related to someone who operates on that kind of level. Hmm. Um, the qualities that make a good astronaut aren't necessarily the qualities that make a great parent. Hmm. But then again, we have a simulation of what we think a great mother is. Um, is that really a useful simulation? Hmm since pretty much all of us have complaints about our mothers, um, maybe we've picked the wrong 
simulation, right. you, you know, like, it's, it, since it's not working for any right. of us, if we all feel that our mother didn't do exactly what we wanted our mother to do, then maybe we need to throw out that idea, our expectation of a mother. Um, so everybody's kind of trying to rewrite their family laws right. in the book. Yeah, I know that. I mean, that it made me, the, the, the idea of Marae, thinking about or the idea of Helen to having being the kind of person that has to do this she just it has right. to do it yeah and that the price of that is years apart from her daughter and yet if she doesn't do it then she's not her, she's right. not herself yes yeah um, it's and beautiful and it, I mean it is interesting like you know people went off to war and left their families behind it's it's a thing that happens families being separated they do you know they tend to ask the women astronauts you know how does your daughter feel and they're like ask my male crew member how he feels about leaving his son um they still sort of expect the female crew members to have a different point of view um and helen takes that on you know herself yeah, that's another of my favorite lines is men like feminism if they think it was their idea. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> they do. <laughs> I think it was my idea, actually, so thanks, I'm pretty sure. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for Am feminism. Right? Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, because so Charles writes, you know, literary fiction novels, but, you, I mean, you have science fiction in one of the titles of your books, and so, um, I mean, just because it's come up for me as we've been promoting and talking about this book and people ask so do you write sci is it sci-fi or is it fi is it is it <laughs> literary fiction and right. how have you sort of when you straddle both worlds like that or yeah no it's um i you know i i try to straddle it i yeah. think i i because i there is a part of me that wants to say, no, it's more, don't judge it, you know, by its title. <laughs> and then there's part of me like, well, you, it's probably fair to judge it by its title. Um, so, uh, and then, I, I, I mean, I think, I think it is a weird thing. Mostly it's just a thing of like, where does it go in the bookstore? You right. know, and yeah. I mean, there is a little bit more, I guess, in that sometimes, especially with the title like, like how to live safely in a science fictional universe that carries a certain kind of genre expectation that right. that will I, as i've painfully experienced actually disappoint people yeah <laughs> on in a yeah. real way if they pick it up or buy it and think oh uh this is not what i what i thought um but i i think you know for the most part it's it's great because then i get to kind of you know, speak to both. Yeah, yeah, I get to sort of f- fail in two different genres. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to that. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a tricky thing. It really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, uh, I like to keep le- expectations low. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so um, so it, it does seem if you say it's science fiction, people are like, it's going to be pew 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 and true. Right. Right. Action adventure. Right. And I'm like, no, it's people talking. It's just people talking for almost 400 pages. There's no pew, pew, pew. Um, um, but then you don't want to, you know, science fiction is great and has a great history. You don't want to, you know, which, and I love the science in right. the book, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. it's beautifully done. You have, you got kind of the, the cosmic take on, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like, there's a lot of ways you could have gone with this. There is no... Well, there there is a little guy, but There's it's not guy. like a huge yeah. like the. It's not a helmet. It's yeah. not a helmet, yeah. yeah. Or 
Mars or something. I right. Guess. So um, I, I feel like so much of it comes down to that sometimes too, yeah. because it literally shapes your first impression of it, and then you're like, okay, right. you're right. You know, right. it's a beautiful font. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, this is the the paperback, but the hardcover actually has pew pew pew. It has a bunch of ray guns, which is a beautiful cover. But right. again, that really sets up a certain kind of expectation that right. I learned. You know. <clears throat> that it's going to happen. Right, so. it's going to happen. You just so you just deal with it. Then yeah. is that your advice to me? Just yes, deal with, deal with it. it. Just deal with it. Be happy. Stop complaining. Yeah, you have a right. beautiful yeah. published book. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Do that. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, another line I really love is is um, that the, the the crew is the technology. Yeah. Which I think is uh, another just beautiful crystallization of what you're writing about here, or what I think you're writing. Here's the thing. When I really love a book, I like to pretend I wrote it. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that was my idea, again, like feminism. Yeah. But I, um, so, so this, it, again, it, the metaphors just interlock so well for me. And, and I, I'm obsessed with how, how kind of beautifully layered it is without ever feeling forced. Um, and, and so another kind of the aspect of it that I thought was interesting was that you um, you did make it international and that mm-hmm. was obviously a degree of difficulty um, but for me what that does is make three different kinds of consciousnesses mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in terms of national origin right I'd yeah. be curious to hear what you know what challenges or what that what that was like to try to do it yeah it is yeah it's a little tough um, I mean my method is to like swing for the fences in the first draft and then when you get to the editing point then really see where I might have screwed up and been American when I was in a you know someone who's Japanese head or um, where language things where I was just lazy or moving too quickly Um, but yeah they each came with their own sort of set of Mm -hmm. um uh, things I didn't want it to just be Americans or just a th- crew full of you know white people, um, um, but e- each one of them are was had their own little challenge. So um, thinking about them all the time, uh, they each came within their own syntax. Mm-hmm. So usually by when working on it after about an hour in, I'd be in that person's syntax. Um, so right, yeah, to kind of. I got a little. I have a family that lives in Japan, so that helped me with oh. research in Japan. And then I was a ballet dancer, so I've lived with a lot of Russians all my life. And, yeah, <laughs> and not physically lived with them, but yeah. Um, no, it's done really well. I thought. Um, are we getting? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, um. I think we're opening it up for questions. <laughs> Yeah, no, I didn't have a thought. You literally saved me from you, just going. Yeah, uh. you know the basic thing. Charles invented feminism, and we're very grateful. And if you, if you take and away pew, one pew, thing pew. yeah, pew pew pew. That's your two takeaways. Um, does anyone have any questions? Yes, Peter. Space camp. Uh, what happens at space camp? Um, <laughs> it's called. Um, it's actually called Launchpad Astronomy Workshop for Writers. Mm. Um, it's fantastic. It's uh, run out of the University of Wyoming. Um, uh, Michael Brotherton, who's a um, physicist, astrophysicist, um, started this program with the idea of look, writers and of all kinds, we know that you're not scientists and you're going to want to write science. That's great. 
could you try to get some of it right? Um, that would be even better. So they so they created this fellowship, and they invite half like a half a dozen dozen writers each year to come, and um, it's like a Berlitz course. Basically, you're there for a week, um, eight in the morning, six at night lectures. You stay in dorm rooms. Um, it's great. It's I mean, it's it's nerd uh, ground zero. We're all just um, with our. And uh, it was really fun. It was great. Um, there was a, a a day when... So they have a big telescope there at the University of Wyoming, and they said, well, they, they need two people always to be at the telescope because it's just surrounded by nothing and, like, moose. Um, and they, uh, they said, well, the astronomer that's up there lost her partner, so does any one of you want to volunteer to stay up all night at the telescope and work on the telescope? And I was like... Thinking, you know, during the whole, right. thinking everybody else would be go, like, pick me, and no one else except for Gabrielle. We both had our hands up, so we went off, and um, uh, all we were doing was, you know, moving the telescope yeah. uh, very slightly to take these photographs at wow. a binary star system um, a couple light years away, um, and we were both like, this is the most moving thing I've ever done. You know, wow. it was it was truly moving because what we do is so ephemeral feeling. Mm. So to actually just move a piece of equipment, you could hear it, you know, move and then take a photograph. It's like, I'm doing a real thing for the first time in my life. I am doing an actual job job. Um, It was great. So, so yes, face camp was super fun. Do you eat astronaut ice cream? (laughs) No, we ate in the cafeteria, yeah. Yeah. Boring. Boring, yeah. It's kind of boring, yeah. Oh yeah, there was a, one of the other people. So her 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 friend showed up. It was like a 24 year old guy who was a physics major. But before he got interested in being a physics major, he rode professional rodeo. We were like, really? Um, yeah, a, yeah. He was a rodeo major. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're great. Space space people are great. They all have these crazy backgrounds. They're all like, I, I'm, I, I participate in my local theater, and I'm an astrophysicist. It's fantastic. Typical path. Yeah, yeah. Boring. Um, anybody else? Yes? So, talking about the book cover and the fact that the cover, you didn't go with just a, you know, the helmet. Sort of right. The title also, at what point in the process did you have the title decide that you didn't want it? Traditional TQ. <laughs> um, when I was when I read that um, that planets means the wanderers. That's mm. that's the Greek. Uh, the the ancient Greeks were when they <clears throat> were looking at the skies, uh, they noticed that there were these couple of objects that did not seem to move in fixed ways the way the stars did. They, but they seemed to sort of meander, and so they called those objects which were um, Mars and Venus um, and Jupiter and they called them the wanderers mm. Uh, mm. which in Greek was planetus, planets so I thought, done <laughs> um, before that the title of the book was um, this book I'm writing which is almost certainly doomed <laughs> that, was, that was my so it was good to get that off the computer yeah um, Really? Yes. Oh, thank you, Julie. I know it took you a long time. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jay, you want to take this? <laughs> you had to listen to a lot of it, my friends. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I like, I like, uh, I think doing hard things is good. So, um, uh, uh, so I, I always like that, but I don't want to always. I don't want to oversell how hard writing is. It's a privilege to write. Let's face it. I mean, I'm not running to the bushes while someone chases me with a machete. I'm sitting in my apartment writing. It's a privilege. Um, yet. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I felt I was stepping way out my of my comfort zone. It was a much more ambitious book for me than I had tried before. And so um, it's just quieting that voice in the head that's like, you are stomping with Ugg boots um, on really delicate things. Um, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be in this. You should you should be doing something else. Yeah, right? No, that's and, a good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, so I, I, I've learned to, you know, take more um, breaks. Mm. Um uh, when that happens, because um, my writing is just crap when I feel that way, and I'm crap, and um, I lose my friends, and I don't lose them. They're very patient people, but you know, I feel I'm just apologizing to everyone constantly. Um, so I've learned to just step away and read some books. Read a good, you know, read a good book by something that makes you want to write better. Yeah, I can pretend that. Yeah, yeah, I can, yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's that's my only way to get through. Step away now. Mm. Yeah, because I know sometimes people come up to you and want and say, "I really want to write a book," and I always want to say, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, it's a marathon. Yeah, it's not a sprint for sure." Mm. Yes, Ted. Do you have any particular models or inspirations literary? Um, I didn't, yeah. I, I couldn't. That was one of the problems, actually, is I felt like, like, huh, how do you, um, um, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there was stuff, there's stuff that was in there or moments in there. Um, I was listening to a lot of um, music, uh, a lot of sort of postmodern classical music, which for me was a really great way to think of mm. Um, the rhythms of the book so things sort of repeating and and repeating and moving in circles Um, but yeah I didn't I couldn't find I mean uh, I thought what Charles was doing was was probably the closest even Mm. though we we do different things it was like well I I felt that he had achieved in his work what I was going for Mm. so yeah that was the closest I'm just curious, the absurdity of the simulation reminds me a little bit of Biosphere 2. Yeah, Biosphere 2, right. Did you, did you like, were you into that? Uh, you know, I, I, I remember reading about it at the time. Um, so if you don't, yeah, Biosphere 2, they, again, they they put people in a, um, a big dome. And it was meant to be this great sort of utopian thing. And, of course, it just collapsed. And, yeah, it was a disaster. Um, uh yeah, but they had a lot more room to move around, too. Um, uh, yeah, I've been interested in that, but I don't really know that much about it, just sort of the highlights of it. 
I mean, putting people in a small space and locking the door is tricky. You've got to basically be an astronaut to take it. Um, I don't think most of us could. Uh, you have to have something that much at stake, I think. Mm. Uh, you have to understand. You have to be more interested in getting it right than feeling good. Mm. And astronauts are really good at getting it right and, um, and putting feeling good way down on their list of priorities. So, um, yeah. Have you ever considered writing uh, the next piece where they actually do go? <laughs> Uh, I'm, mo- <laughs> um, I'm moving slightly away from space for the next book. I'm putting, giving space a little bit of a rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a little space between me and, and yeah. And by the time I finished the book, I was feeling persecuted by space. You know, like, um, and, yeah. In the vein of that question, one of my favorite themes in the book was that there was a creative person in each one of these families that were going up in space, and they were all trying to make a name for themselves on Earth. And they were about to be the sibling, or, or the, you know, the son, or the husband, or whatever, but very famous person. Right. Mm. So I guess my question is, what happens to Moray? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I think she's, by the end of the book, she's in a pretty good place for things to happen. Um, it's always fun to imagine what happens for your characters uh, after the book. My first novel, Blindsight, there's a character, Luke, um, and it ends in a place where we're not really sure what's going to happen to Luke, um, and he's in this book. Uh, so if you read Blindsight and you wondered what happened to Luke, he's the seventh person. Um, um, not a, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's not exactly I, I, in the first um, in the first draft of this book. There was a bit more um, that linked him directly to um, to Blindsight, um, and my editor, who hadn't read because was a new editor for me, she hadn't read Blindsight, so she was like, "I don't know why we need to know all this about his sister." And I was like, "We don't." I just <laughs> um, so I, I pared it down. Uh, but for those in the know, um, but uh, yeah, so I got to answer that question with what happens to Luke and. Um, and uh, one of the other characters from this book is going to be in the next book uh, too. So maybe they'll just all—I'll just keep cycling them through. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> the Howry universe. Yeah, it's some people yeah. my own universe. Right. Yeah, that seems very mature. <laughs> um. Well, I'll ask. What What are you both working on next? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you you so Charles was working on Westworld. I was, and then uh, and then you have this new I, show. I'm on a new show. Yeah, for can HBO. you say anything about the show? A little bit. You? It's a, a family drama starring Holly Hunter and Tim Robbins, uh, Ooh, created by great. Alan Ball, who did Six Feet Under. Um, and it's it's I'm really excited. It's yeah, fun. Um, it's it's my third TV job that I've taken while not finishing a novel. <laughs> so my editor and agent are very sad yeah <laughs> but i'm i do need to yeah, earn pay, a living pay the bills yeah, yeah. but yes yeah novels don't do it um <laughs> not when you write one every yeah, yeah seven yeah, to ten yeah. years right. apparently right. it's my periodic <laughs> orbit yeah. right. um how about you um yeah so yeah i'm, I'm working uh, on a new book um 
I can't really say anything about it because it's, it's very... I'll say that the, the research books on the side of the desk either have to do with AI oh. or hair. <laughs> hair, hair, yeah. Wow. Body hair, yeah. So that'll be good, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I have a question for Charles. How did you make the transition from being a novelist to a TV writer? How did that happen? Yeah, it, it, uh, it happened through books, really, is what it was. I, through books, I started to meet people and then um, eventually went on meetings and then got a call out of the blue. I was, I was working as a lawyer um, the whole time I was writing books. And, um, and I, I, I just, one day, they said they're staffing on this show called Westworld. And I had to make the choice: Would I jump from something very stable? And I, I, you know, my wife and I have kids, so it was kind of a scary thing. But it seemed like the right time, and um, so I did that. Went to the dark side. <laughs> no, it's been it's been great. Um, enjoyed it a lot. It, it's also changed, you know, sort of the way I look at story a little bit. But um, for the most part, there's such different activities that that it does sort of feel like I've got a day job, and I. Also, still procrastinating on my writing. So, so you were at like your lawyer job, and it was like, "Do you want to work on Westworld?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's great. Yeah, so that's a good day. I yeah. thought that was a good day. <laughs> it was a weird day. Yeah, yeah weird, a weird day. day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, because you didn't know what it. I mean. I did. <laughs> yeah. It's like. I mean, I guess I probably shorthanded that day a little bit, but yeah, yeah it was yeah, basically yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So the dark side. So is it just? I mean, because it's collaborative or political. Is I mean, what what makes it the dark side versus the long? Oh no, I was kidding. It's not the dark side. It's it's very. It's a wonderful. It's I I love it. I love my job. It's I cannot complain. Um, we usually get free lunch. <laughs> what did you learn about story there? And and could you talk about the different working styles that you have on novels versus? collaborative yeah definitely it's um oh the question is uh uh the different writing styles uh going from being a novelist to writing collaborative collaboratively on a television show yeah it is really that's really it is it's collaborative and so it's a team sport in a in a good on a good day it really feels like um soccer or hockey where it's like it kind of a very fast moving conversation that you never know where one idea is going to lead to and sometimes something will start out one way and it just seems like oh that's a tangent and then like three or four pings later it, it's you hit on something as a group that's very interesting I've tried to recreate that a little bit in my own head it doesn't work because all of the people are me and so it's like hmm but, um, but a little bit of kind of the process of it I've tried to port into um, and you know, it's also, but I mean, the difference really is that there, the constituent unit is really kind of a, a beat, like what is going to play on a screen, and or an emotional story beat. Whereas, you know, Meg's book is a beautiful example. It's it's the words, you know, it's really the words and the ideas, and there are things you can do in fiction that you cannot do anywhere else because, you know, the technology that Meg is doing is getting into someone's head in a way that is so rich and so layered that that has been a little bit of a the remind you know I have to constantly remind myself like this will not play on a screen if you try to try to achieve that kind of effect um 
so yeah, they don't really want poetry on TV, apparently. Um, but no, you know, th that said, TV has changed a lot recently, and there are things, there are people that are trying to do really exciting things, and there's so many forms of storytelling and so many really gifted people doing things. It's just a different medium is really what I, I've had to learn as a kind of rookie. Yeah. Yes. Coming from your background in dance, so is there something or some part of your brain that you still use when you're writing that came from your dance background? Or mm. I don't know, I'm not, I'm not really sure what I'm trying to ask, but this is what creativity that came out of that. Yeah. I mean, it's there's not a lot of writers that were ballet dancers. It's such a, a different, <laughs> it uses two different. Yeah. Um, uh, I think. Um, Maybe there's something to do with, um, but but you know the kind of dance I did, ballet and 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 then theater dance is very narrative storytelling. So there's that. Um, there's uh, trying to understand a story and how to tell a story uh, in two different, very different ways. I do write in a super physical way, um, which is why you I write at home. That? I do. I do. Yeah, I do a lot of that. Um, <laughs> make faces um, uh, yeah so I mean they don't really they, they don't cross over the great thing about being a ballet dancer is that everything you do after that is easier <laughs> and, and can be done in pants um, so <laughs> if you choose you don't have to you don't have to wear those pants but if you want to you can wear pants and there's no pants in ballet um, so that helps um, and also when you're a ballet dancer, you're just like, I will never have any money. And it will be hard and no one will ever really understand what I'm doing. Um, and so then everybody backs off in your life. Nobody's like, when are you going to get that real job? They just give up <laughs> really quickly. And so now anytime I do anything normal, my family is like, that's wonderful. <laughs> um, like learn to drive a car. They're like, good for you. Um, you know, and I like I wrote a book. They're like, uh huh, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so they don't really cross over, but um, maybe just the desire to tell stories. Like the same little girl that wanted to act out the music, still wants to act out the music mm. some way. Mm. Hi. Um, so you talked about the spine of the book being simulation and that yeah. was everyone's story. I feel like there was a part or an aspect or relation to the book that wasn't simulation. Uh, well, the Luke is um, uh, the one observing. Uh, he's outside. He's sort of us in a way. He's the one watching. Um, so he gets pulled into the simulations in various ways, but remains outside it, which is very frustrating for him. Mm. Uh, he wants to be, he wants to be, he knows something's going on with these seemingly perfect people that are uh, on the screen in front of him, but uh, so he, re he remains uh, outside of it, which gave him a nice grounded quality for me. Um, also, I was, uh, he was my, he was my guy from my earlier book, so yeah. I think we have time for one more, if there is one more. Oh. Um, regarding his question, um, I would think that one thing that would have carried over having been a ballet dancer and being an author is being self-discipline involved. Um, you're mm. highly motivated as a ballet dancer. You don't necessarily know the outcome. It sounds like that's very similar as an author as well. 
you may or may not have like daily deadlines that you have this you know overwhelming you know deadline you have to meet ultimately and you have to stay on task at every moment of every day based on your own motivation right and i think as a dancer that that is the case too so i would say a lot of carryover in that yeah. mm. I think I'm more disciplined as a writer than I was as a dancer, <laughs> in a weird way. Mm. Um, but yeah, there is that. How? There's. Um, I try harder for longer mm. as a writer. It's terrible. I thought um, with my first uh, book before I went to my first reading, I was like, I used to perform in in point shoes and tights in front of lots of people, jumping and turning in point shoes. So reading a book will be totally fine. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's, I didn't make up the choreography that I was dancing or the costumes or the sets. I hadn't, you know. I was my job was to not fall over and um, um, and I didn't I I wasn't to be blamed about really anything else and with a book it was like I did everything <laughs> I did all of this if it's bad it's mine um, so yeah so I, I I get really nervous more invested in it yeah yeah. <laughs> I feel better now though thank you so this is a really you were all so lovely thank you. Thank you, Skylight. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.